Mark 16, verse 1. It says, And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Siloam had bought sweet spices and they, that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment. And they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted, and ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulchre, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them they had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had, not, and had been seen of her, believed not. After that, he appeared in another room unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Imagine what the people were going through before they saw that he was resurrected. That some of them saw when Jesus was crucified. Many of them fled. Some of them saw from afar. But the one that they were seeing to come and, and basically overthrow Rome over Israel. And to see Israel restored um, to the land on, in, in, under their own government. And yet to see the one whom they looked to be the Messiah. To be crucified. Now remember Jesus told them. Before he died. That he was going to rise again. According to the scriptures. Now he told them that. You know the Old Testament prophesied. That he would suffer. That he would die. That he told them. That he told the, the, the enemies. Those that oppose him. Destroy this temple. And in three days I will raise it up again. And at first they mocked him, thinking they were ta- he was talking about the physical temple um, that took over 50 years to build. And he could have rose that as well. You know, he could have rose that in three days. But he was speaking of his body, that he would rise again. But yet to see um, him beat, to be- see him crucified. The people were still grieving. These women weren't going to the tomb to come see a resurrected Christ. They were going to see a dead body. 
And just to imagine being in their shoes, that one whom they love, one day cherish, one day saw do many miracles. And now they were going to come face to face with a, a carcass, a dead body. And yet, we see he wasn't there. At first, they're worried. They're thinking, it occurred to them, there's a stone there. A gray stone. We're not going to be able to move it. Well, how, how are we going to go in and anoint the body? But then as they were saying those words, they saw that the stone was moved. And so we see that, um, that Mary Magdalene and, and another married, um, that we see that first they see the angel. The angelic testimony that he says, you know, behold the tomb. He's not here. He is risen. That he's gone. And they go and, and they behold and they were frightened. They've never seen this before. Sure, they saw, some of them saw that Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. But they never saw um, someone raise themselves from the dead. And we see that Jesus appears to the woman. We see that he appears first to Mary Magdalene. She tells the apostles. And they still don't believe. You know, sometimes it can be easy to think that you know, why wouldn't that make them remember that Jesus told them that he would rise again? Why didn't they ask us all of a sudden when the lady said, said it? He's risen from again. You know, first, you know, maybe their thoughts were, you know what, maybe these are just women and you know what, they, they're just looking at it from a negative light. They're like, no one's ever risen from the dead. You know, why are these ladies being crazy? Remember, one of the women was one that had seven devils. And so that could be in part why they were slow, reluctant to believe her testimony. That this was a woman who had seven devils. And they're perhaps maybe thinking, the Bible doesn't say this, but perhaps they're thinking, you know what, this woman's demon-possessed again. This lady's going crazy. And then Jesus appears to two more apostles, two more disciples. And at first they didn't recognize them right away. That, you know what, Jesus is walking amongst, amongst them and their eyes were beholding from that they would not recognize at first. But their hearts burned within them as he gave them scripture about how he would suffer and how he would rise again. And then all of a sudden they realized who he was. That this is Jesus. And then Jesus vanished from their sight. And then they told the rest of the apostles. And they didn't believe their testimony either. And then we see Jesus appears to the eleven. And it says, as they sat meat, and, and he upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Rebuked them for their lack of faith. One, their lack of faith for believing what he said, but also for not believing what the other disciples and the woman said about him being resurrected. You know, there are many infallible proofs of the resurrection of Christ. Many eyewitnesses of the time. 
But right again, you know, you know, the resurrection doesn't really need to be defended. You know, it's going to be mocked. It's going to um, be cried out against by the unbelievers. But the resurrection, um, as we were talking about in the Sunday school hour, um, to us, it may be a theological matter. But as far as history is concerned, it's a historical fact. But people still want to try and get around that. But we're not going to go into the evidences of the resurrection. We covered a little bit of that in the Sunday school hour. Didn't really have time to get into it at all. But we're going to just simply look at the miracle of the resurrection. Uh, what the resurrection means um, to us and, and, and what it affirms. And number one, um, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter um, 1. Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, in verse 1, says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, what she had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. And so here the Paul, the apostle, he writes that he's called unto the gospel, but he says that, you know, this is what was prophesied before time by the holy prophets, by the scriptures, and that it was speaking concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. That here we see the incarnation of Christ, that deity would take on flesh. But then it goes on, and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. That yes, we see he was incarnated in the flesh. It's a babe. But what really showed the power was that he was declared to be the Son of God because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Timothy, the Bible says, without con controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto Gentiles, believe on in the world, receive up in new glory. And there Paul writing again that he was received up, that he resurrected. And now back then, even like there are today, there have been many false prophets in the world. You know, often the skeptic or the unbeliever. Sometimes the one that really feels like they're seeking. But it's really, the Bible says that no man seeketh after God. You know, like Jesus reveals the light to mankind. But man in his heart and heart does not seek after the true God. God shows him first. We, we love him because he first loved us. But you'll hear people, they'll question. They'll be like, how can you be so sure of your faith? There's so many religions around the world. They'll say Buddhism, Hinduism, is older than Jesus Christ. You know what the Pharisees didn't even get it then. You know, when they said, you are not yet 40 years or 50 years old, and you say you've seen Abraham, 
That Abraham rejoiced to see your day? You know, no, you know what? Christianity is way older than any religion as far as in who God is. That Jehovah God, that I'm Jesus Christ, who was pre-assisting with the Father before Buddhism, before Hinduism. But there is idolatry. There are many false religions around the world. Many founders of false religions. Many idols made by the hands of man. But those men have perished. They're gone. They're no more. Muslims proclaim the prophet Muhammad as being the next that would come after Jesus. But Muhammad, he's likewise dead. Buddha's dead. All the Hindu gods are all simply legends and myths. But the one who created the universe, death had no dominion over him. He died, but he rose again. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is what separates Christianity from all mere religion, whatever form it is in. That we see he is declared to be indeed the Son of God by the resurrection. And so one, the resurrection affirms that Jesus is Lord. That He was God in the flesh. The resurrection affirms that Jesus is who He said He was. And Jesus said, if you believe not that I am He, you shall die in your sins. Go ahead and turn your 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 17. It says, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, you are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. That Paul is understanding the significance of the resurrection. That if the resurrection was not true, if Jesus died, remained in the tomb, or His body was stolen, or whatever it was, we are yet in our sins. You know, again, all the many different religions, they're trying to find their ways to please their God or gods. But they are yet in their sins. And if Jesus was not risen, we would be yet in our sins. If the resurrection was a fraud... There'd be no salvation. You know, sometimes people will criticize Christianity as being exclusive um, because Jesus is the only Savior, that He is the way to the Father, the life, the truth. But the reality is, if there were many roads to heaven, why would Jesus suffer the cross? 
Why go through the pain? Why go through the agony? Why bear the wrath of the Father if people could get to heaven other ways? It's because there was no other way. Because without the resurrection, we would be yet in our sins. Without His death, without His resurrection. And so the resurrection ensures our salvation. Ensures the salvation of those that believe upon the name of Jesus Christ is the Son of God, is God in the flesh as the Savior. Without the resurrection, there would be no salvation. Now, as Albert Moore mentioned, the secular world has done a good job in making a mess of Christmas. But it has largely ignored our celebration of the resurrection. Where there's commercialism, it comes in the form of eggs, chicks, and rabbits. None of them which have any connection to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but rather to the false goddess of Ishtar, the goddess of fertility, that the Assyrians, that the Ninevites would worship as their gods, and they, would, and they would have their temple prostitutes. And then the bunnies and the eggs symbolizing the immorality and fertility. No connection to the resurrection at all. The fact is the secular world will attempt to domesticate, commercialize, and tame the babe in the manger at Christmas time. Don't speak of Jesus. Yes, largely about Santa Claus now. But they'll still have the babe in the manger. But when it comes to the cross and the empty tomb from the world, you don't see them speaking of the resurrection. It's just all the eggs, the bunnies. And I'm not saying it's wrong for you to do an Easter egg hunt. You know what? To do a treasure hunt. You know what? Have fun at it. We know as a church, you know what? Our focus is on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus is risen. They commercialize Christmas and they include Jesus there, but they don't want to get to the cross and the resurrection. Because then there is an accountability for their sin. The cute baby Jesus, it looks cute. But that He died for our sin. And that He's risen again. And that He's going to rule and reign again. The world wants no part of it. So they rather go to the false goddess of Ishtar. The cross stands as condemnation on all human attempts at self-righteousness. And the fallen world will do all within his power to hide the cross from sight. The empty tomb is the seal and confirmation of the cross, and the world will shield its eyes. They don't want to see it. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The reason we're able to be begotten again, to be made alive, is because Jesus is risen. And so let's never forget that. You know what? Let's not just remember this on Resurrection Sunday. Because every Sunday to us is Resurrection Sunday. That's why we meet together. 
You know, we don't meet just to try to see how many chairs that we could fill up. We don't meet just to try to grow a club. We don't meet just for fellowship. Is fellowship part of the body of coming church? Absolutely. You know what? Hebrews 10.25, he talks about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. It's the, summer of man, it's the manner of some do. But gather even more and more as we see the day of Christ approaching. But we come to church to worship the Lord, to rejoice that our Savior is risen. Indeed, you think about it, man, over 2,000 years later, and churches still around the world meeting. Meeting and rejoicing in this, about the Savior. You know, the resurrection is what ensures our salvation. It's what enables man to have peace with God. By making believers free from the penalty of sin. Go ahead and go to Romans 4. Romans 4 in verse 20. It says he, speaking of Abraham, staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. He believed that what God promised would happen. Disciples, we don't see them having that kind of faith first. They knew what Jesus said, but they had forgotten all about it. But we see Abraham staggered not for unbelief. But he knew that God would perform it. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Like dwell on that for a while. You know, last week we observed the Lord's table to reflect on the death of Jesus Christ, on what He had done for us, that He did that, that, that He was delivered because of our sins, because of His love, and Him not wanting us to pay the penalty for our sin. Think about that. Now what He did for you, that your sin, your rebellion against God in your life, Jesus died for that. That he literally became the scapegoat. That he ended up becoming the lamb that was sacrificed for our sins. That he was delivered for our offenses. But he was raised again for our justification. So not only were our sins taken away, but his righteousness was imputed upon us because of the power of of the resurrection. And because of the resurrection, we are able to have peace with God. You know, you look at me again, a lot of the religions around the world, they're serving them out of guilt. They're serving them out of trying to please the gods. They're making their own personal sacrifices. To try to earn favor. To try to be at peace with the gods that don't even exist. 
but the one God that does it says. And it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. You know, yes, He's a God of love, but He's also a God of wrath. But God has made a way that we can be at peace with God. That the wrath of God would not abide upon us. And you think about, you know, our satisfaction, our joy, our emotional makeup ought not to be in our religious duties. It ought not to be in coming to church that we find our joy because we're around other people. Our joy ought not to be, be based on how many seats are filled. And I know, you know, sometimes we, you know, we notice it. We notice it when one Sunday, you know what, it seems fuller, and another Sunday, it's not. But you know what, sometimes you know what, my eyes are in the wrong spot. Our eyes should be in the wrong spot. Our satisfaction, our joy is not based on the attendance of our church. When it is, that's what happens. That's why we get down. That's why we get discouraged when it seems the momentum's not there. You know, we've been here six years. We've seen the momentum go up. We've seen it go down and go up. And you know what? It'll make you feel miserable if that's what your eyes are fixed upon. Do we want to grow? Yes, but why do we want to grow? Because we want to see people saved. We want to see people come to know Jesus as their Savior. We want God to use us. But if no one else ever visit our church again, is our joy in that? Or our lack of joy based on that? Or is our joy in Jesus Christ? That God has made a way that we would be at peace with Him by His death by His resurrection, that we could rejoice in. Even if we were half the size of what we are just habitating today. You know, don't come to church just to see what you can get out of it. Don't go to church for what kind of program they're able to offer. Go to a church that's they're teaching, they're preaching the Bible, and they're about worshiping the Savior, of rejoicing with one another that Jesus indeed is risen, and we can have peace and joy in that no matter what. If the world comes and burns this building down, let your joy abide. Let your joy abide in Christ, our satisfaction. It's not to be on religion. It's to be in the person of Jesus Christ. Romans 5.10 says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God, not in church. Sure, you know, it's a joyful being around other Christians. Absolutely. But that ought not to be the height of where our joy is placed. Our joy is in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. That Jesus died on our behalf, that his blood was shed, that we might have forgiveness of sins. And as Jesus said, or as John wrote of Jesus, and these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. You know, we ought to be joyful when we come to church. 
Because our joy is full because of the person of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ revealed that he was the first fruits of a future resurrection of Christians. Our fellow servant of the Lord, Charles Grant, passed away this past week. Charles and Ruth, they, um, over the last two years, haven't really been able to attend church much. He's been in a nursing home. Or first, he, she was taking care of him and couldn't leave him. And then he was put in a nursing home. And then she has um, her health that um, just, she's not always able to get out on Sunday morning. So some of you may not even know who they are. Who they are. But he passed away this past week. The memorial service is going to be this Saturday at 2.30. And so if you're able to, you know what, try to be there, be a support to Ruth, um, be a blessing um, to her. You know, she lost her husband. And but I visited her and she said, well, you know what, Pastor? There is a joy in knowing that he is with the Lord. You know what, I grieve because you know what, I miss him. But I, she goes, I can't imagine what the world goes through when they lose a loved one that doesn't know Christ. And they have no hope. They have nothing. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 15, 20, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. 6.14 says, And God have both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us by His own power. Chapter 15, verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. You know, when Charles passed away, you know what the Bible says to be present with the Lord, or to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So his soul, his spirit is already with the Lord. But the Bible also teaches the future resurrection of our body, that, it, that, that which was corrupt, that which is decayed in the grave. That which was burnt to ashes. You know, that's how cremation originally started. They, they wanted to, um, oftentimes it would be to mock the kings. Or like they would go and they would mock the enemies and they would burn them. It's a shame. And then the pagans would burn Christians. For the reasons of saying, we'll prevent the resurrection from happening. Nowadays, it's usually simply done out of economical reasons, not any of those types of motives. But you know what? People being burned to ashes, that's not going to stop them from being resurrected. You know what? Many of the martyrs, that's how they were killed. They were burned. And yet they rejoiced that they would resurrect. Job said, even in the Old Testament, Though my eyes be consumed and worms devour my body, yet in my flesh shall I see my Redeemer in the latter day. 
that our body that is decayed, devoured by worms, will rise again. And that's what Jesus' resurrection shows, that He was the first fruits of the resurrection. And then all those who are believers, those who are Christians, those who are saved, will rise again. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Thanks be to God for the resurrection. That there is no sting to death for the believer. Go ahead and turn your Philippians 3. Philippians 3. And we see that Christ's resurrection, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, gives us the power to live a Spirit-filled life. It says, And be found in Him, not having my known, in verse 9, not having my known righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now, Romans 6 you know what, in verse 4, it says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism and new death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death have no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, that in your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. You know, in Christ, we've crucified the flesh. 
We must continue to crucify the flesh. But the Spirit of God gives us the power to live a new obedience to God. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us the power of the Spirit of God to live for Him. That it is not in vain to live for Christ. That we're not going to die and then think, oh man, our life was miserable because the resurrection was a fraud. No, it's not going to happen. But the Spirit of God enables us to live our faith in victory. To overcome the world with our faith. Stories been told of an African Muslim who became a Christian. And his friends asked him, why have you become a Christian? And he says, well, it's like this. Suppose you were going down the road and suddenly the road forked in two directions. And you didn't know which way to go. There at the fork were two men. One dead and one alive. Who would you ask which way to go? You're going to ask Muhammad? Instead, his way of radicalization, of, of um, murder, terrorizing in the name of their gods? Or Jesus, who rather taught, turn the other cheek, love your enemies, and who is alive forevermore? Serve a risen Savior. We need to rejoice in that. To really reflect upon it. That Jesus is alive. Isn't that awesome, son? Jesus is alive. He's not dead. You know, we're not following a religion that the chief prophets did. No. We serve a risen Savior. He's alive. You know, many people die for some things that they believe to be true. But you think about the apostles who were eyewitnesses of His majesty. The world will try to say, you know, it was a hoax. Some men got drunk and thought it was a good idea to make up this story. You know, again, men will die for something that they think is true. But men don't die for something they know is false. They don't offer themselves up and go, sure, crucify me on the cross upside down. Because I have this joke I wanted to play on you. People don't endure the flames in the time of Christ because they knew of some joke they did. That they were spreading some myth. No, they died. They were willing to die because they knew He was risen indeed. They saw Him with their own eyes. And yes, indeed, we haven't seen Him with our own eyes. But there is much evidence we see all throughout the New Testament. Remember, the New Testament was not written as one book by one man. But was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, used in many different men, Different, sometimes in different locations. And then you have the Old Testament that prophesied of His suffering. As Peter says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Even above eyewitnesses. We got both. We read about those that were eyewitnesses. And many today even suffer death because of the Gospel. 
But the Bible says, you know what, don't compare. Or, or it's not worth it compared to, you know what, the sufferings that we suffer with Christ? Rejoice in that. Because the glory that's going to come thereafter is not even going to be able to be compared. How wonderful it will be to be with the Lord will outshine any suffering we have in this life. Let's go ahead and have a time of prayer real quick. It's the piano plays. Have a time of invitation. Just spend time again worshiping the Lord. Reflecting on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, I pray you know it, that maybe you have, some, have a good time with your family later on today. Don't forget the resurrection. Use this a time to be a witness. You know, people are expecting it. You know, and don't let them down. But rejoice in our Savior and His resurrection. rise again in the last day. If you don't know, you have eternal life. Feel free to come down the aisle or raise your hand. We'll have someone show you from the Bible. Explain in detail Jesus did for us that you may have eternal life. Christians rejoice. Praise God what he's done for us. Thank you, Lord, for your salvation. For your power over death, that we might have power over death likewise. You saving our faith is a victory. We love you, Lord. Help us if there's anybody, family, friends that we get to run across. That will speak of the resurrection and that maybe you will open opportunities to share the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, this past month, we've taken a break from our series on the history of the Bible. Um, just to kind of give a little bit of a break from it, because a lot of technical, a lot of information. And um, but, uh, um, we got, got two more weeks of it. We'll be um, doing it next week. We'll be talking about really the history of the revised version. Um, and, and just the motives, the reasons, the theological bias that came about when the revised version came out. Initially, the purpose was simply to update some of the archaic words um, that were found in the King James Bible, but it ended up becoming something much different. And there was a vow of secrecy during that time. I won't say any more. We'll wait till next week for that, but come here for it. Um, it'll be easier to follow than some of the other lessons. Um, and, and then the following week, we're going to show a comparison on how doctrine 
is changed or weakened based on the Bible version that is used. And so that one will be April 15th, a more pure word. This Wednesday for our marriage recharge, we have a guest speaker, uh, Dave Hardy. Dave and Grace Hardy will be with us. And um, he was a Bible college professor at the college I went to. I didn't get to um, take his class. I was going to be taking it the following year, but I ended up going to a different college afterwards. But got to sit in to a bunch of his teaching in chapel. And um, he was the pastor of the Eastland Baptist Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And now he just goes around traveling to churches, just trying to be an encouragement to preachers and encourage churches. And so he's going to be given a marriage recharge from the Bible on this Wednesday, 7 o'clock. So plan on being here for that. If you're able to, be a great teacher. Um, he's been married for 56 years, much longer than myself. So, you know, he has a lot more experience behind him. And so plan on being here for that. That'll be Wednesday. And if any men are able to, on Tuesday, at Centralia Bible Baptist Church, he's going to be teaching from 10 o'clock to noon um, just on worship. You know, he's written a book on worship that, you know, many times the things that are neglected in our church is worship. You go to a Muslim mosque, they worship false God. But we who have the true God, many times we lack in our worship. And he's going to be teaching on that at Centralia Bible Baptist Church on Tuesday from 10 to noon. And so Pastor Tim Schellenberger has invited our church to come along for that. And, uh, and so if you're able to. And then uh, again, remember the memorial service this Saturday at 2.30 for Charles Grant. In May, we're going to get back into a, um, expository preaching um, through um, the Gospel of John. Or we'll be beginning for the Gospel of John. And so really looking forward to that. And um, so plan on being here for that. Lady Spark is this Friday. Um, which is Dave Hardy and Grace Hardy are going to be teaching for that, for the ladies meeting. If you haven't registered yet, it's not too late. Um, but please let my wife know today if you're able to go. Cost is only $20. And if that's even an issue, you can't get the money. We'll take care of the cost. Um, it's going to be basically from 1 to 9 in Olympia. There's going to be good Bible teaching, um, some t good, just good fellowship with the ladies. And I believe they're going to be leaving the church here around noon. So the ladies from our church could go out for lunch. And then dinner will be provided at the church. But see my wife if you'd like to go to the ladies' um, spark. And God bless you. Shake hands, fellowship, be friendly. Happy.